Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. Let's pray together. And now, Father, we are dedicating a week to focused prayer, concerted prayer, more prayer than we usually do. And my prayer for this week is that people would become, as they never have been before, devoted to prayer. Now, that's a work of the Holy Spirit, and so we are asking you to do it. That a spirit of prayer and grace and supplication would be poured out on Bethlehem Baptist Church downtown and here in Roseville. And wherever we are, scattered through the week, oh God, make us a praying people. Unleash upon this church as never before a high spirit of expectation that when we ask, we'll receive. And when we seek, we'll find. And when we knock, the door will be opened. Because we have a Father who knows how to give good things to His children. So, Lord, move now and make the prayerless prayerful and make those who are prayerful mighty in prayer. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Well, my simple and humanly impossible goal, as you've heard me pray, is that because of this week and God's Spirit and this sermon and this worship service, and all of your influence on one another, you might be, in 2003, devoted to prayer. Devoted to prayer. You see it there in verse 12 of our text. It's in the string of exhortations, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. Your version might say constant in prayer. It might say faithful in prayer. All of those are getting at the idea 
Devoted to is a good translation. Give you a couple of reasons for that. In Mark 3, 9, you don't need to look this up. Jesus told his disciples, quote, to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. Now, ready for him is this same word, be devoted to. So the point was, pick out a boat, get it ready, have it appointed, devoted for the purpose of getting me out of here if they start crushing in on me with too much force. So devoted to, set apart, appointed there, that's what the boat is for. That's the same word. Of course, boats just sit there, whereas people don't just sit there when they're devoted to something. They uh, go about it. They press on in it. They're active in it. So here's another parallel. Romans 13, 6, Paul says that the role of the government is as follows. You also pay taxes for rulers are the servants of God, devoting themselves. There's the word devoting themselves to this very thing. So the point is, they're not just set apart or appointed, devoted in that sense. They're devoted in that it goes on. They're pressing on in it. They're active in it. So, devoted to prayer. That's our goal. And here's the remarkable thing about this word. Ten times it occurs in the New Testament, and five of them refer to prayer. Let me read them to you. Acts 1.14 After the ascension of Jesus into heaven, the disciples are all in Jerusalem waiting for the Holy Spirit. And it says, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women, Mary, mother of Jesus and his brothers. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Early converts in Jerusalem, they were continually devoting themselves to prayer and the apostles teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread. Acts chapter 6, verse 4. The apostles We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. This is addressed to all of us now. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert or keeping awake in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. So, on the basis of all those texts and this central one here in Romans 12, 12, I would say it is not extraordinary but normal Christian life to be devoted to prayer. And so my goal in this sermon is that downtown and here, all those who are a part of Bethlehem would be devoted to prayer. Are you? So ask yourself now, honestly, would my life be described as a life devoted to prayer? It does not mean prayer is all you do. Any more than being devoted to a wife means that you only hang out with her and you don't go to work or do anything else. Being devoted to somebody doesn't mean you spend all your time with them. And being devoted to prayer doesn't mean you spend all your time only praying and doing nothing else. Paul does say pray without ceasing. I'll say something about that later. But surely there is a pattern of praying that if you looked at it, on the whole, you'd say, that person is devoted to prayer. And that's my goal. I want to be one of those. I want you to be those people. So that when someone, if they knew all that you were doing, would say, they're devoted to prayer. Surely all of us would agree there is a life of prayer that if you looked at it, you'd say, that's not devotion to prayer. 
And there's a life that when you looked at it, you'd say, that's devotion to prayer. There's a difference between a life not devoted to prayer and a life devoted to prayer. And we ought to be moving away from the one that's not devoted to prayer and moving towards the one that is devoted to prayer. I think we would all agree with certain kinds of praying that's not a life devoted to prayer. For example, I think we'd all agree that if you only pray when crises come into your life, car accident, cancer, then your life is not devoted to prayer. Or if you only pray at mealtimes and no other time, I don't think anybody would say your life is devoted to prayer. Or if you only pray simple little, now I lay me down to sleep, now I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. If that's all you do is pray a little formulaic prayer before you go to bed at night, your life is not devoted to prayer. Or if you pray, Lord, help me find a parking place when you're stumped and can't get in to do some Christmas shopping. That's not a life devoted to prayer. Now, I personally think all four of those things are very good ways to pray. I ain't got to pray. I need a parking place. That's all right. That's fine. But if that's all you do, the point is, if, if they're just these little, little things and no pattern of devotion to prayer, I don't think you would fulfill this exhortation in Romans 12, 12, be devoted to prayer. So I've pondered now in preparation for this message, what are the obstacles that get in the way of a church being devoted to prayer or of individuals in it being devoted to prayer? What, what's in the way of us being devoted to prayer. And there are obstacles relating to the why of prayer and the how of prayer. And I want, to, I want to talk mainly about the how of prayer this morning, because even though I know there are many theoretical questions about prayer, why pray, I think it's possible to get all those questions answered and make a shipwreck of your life of prayer for all kinds of practical reasons. There are a lot of people, I think, who could give good theological answers to why pray when there is such a thing as unconditional election, say. They got that down. They give the answer, and they don't pray. You wouldn't say there's a life devoted to prayer. They got the answers. They know the whys, but they don't implement the hows. And so I want to give a short answer to the why and then a long answer to the how. And as I do this, let's keep last week's point on prayer in mind. It was a little part of the sermon last week, remember? I said to the kids, I hope you got it up here. I said to the kids, uh, why do we pray in Jesus' name? And the answer was, he deserves answers we don't. If we come to God in our name, we get nothing because we don't deserve anything. We have to come in the name of another. So I want to just make sure that over this message is the cross. Jesus died for my sins, and that's why I can have answers to prayer. He died for your sins, that's why you can have answers to prayer. And so when we go to him, we don't go in our name or our worth or our merit or our desert. We go in his, and he is worthy of all the answers to prayer that we ask in his name. So keep Jesus over everything. Now here's my short answer to the question, why pray? Three answers. Number one. The Bible tells us to pray, tells us to pray right here. Be devoted to prayer. If you're disobedient to that command, it's very foolish and very dangerous. You imperil your soul if you disobey the command, be devoted to prayer. If you say, it's hard for me to pray, it's hard to pray, I say, join the fallen humanity club. 
It's not easy for anybody to pray like we ought to pray. Rather than using that as an excuse, fight it. Oh, how many Christians coast. We have this notion Christianity happens to us only. And there's no war. There's no battle. There's no struggle. There's no acting against first impulse and second and third and fourth. And get it on the fifth. So I invite you, obey the command. Fight it when it's hard to pray. That's the first reason the Bible tells us to. Second reason, the needs of your own life and mine, our family, our church, our churches, world missions, our culture are huge and desperate. And heaven and hell hangs in the balance, not just little temporary things. When we pray, heaven and hell hang in the balance. You remember what Paul said in Romans 9? I have unceasing anguish and great grief in my heart for my kinsmen who are cursed and cut off from Christ. And then he gets to chapter 10 and he says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they might be saved. You see what's hanging in the balance when he prays for them? Being cut off from Christ. I mean, this is huge. The lostness of our families, the lostness of of people that come into this room for worship, the lostness of those who never darken the door of a church and you rub shoulders with them every day are going to go to everlasting torment or everlasting joy and it will hang in part on your prayer. That's a reason to pray. There's a lot at stake. And God has pledged himself in the name of Jesus to move on souls when we pray for them. Third reason to pray. God acts when we pray and does more in five seconds than we can do in five years. Oh, John Piper has been slow in learning and I am still learning the awesomeness of this amazing truth. To bow my head repeatedly and plead with God during sermon preparation. A counseling crisis, perhaps on the telephone. And you don't know what to say next. You have no idea what to do with this person. A witnessing conversation. You sense absolute hardness and resistance. If there's any hope, it will be divine. You're whispering, you're praying. Planning a meeting. Or in a, ma- a meeting for planning. How many times the staff has had to stop and say, God, get us through the breakthrough, the wall that's hitting us here. Get us through. And how many times the breakthrough in sermon preparation, crisis counseling, witnessing, planning has come, has come. How many times have I felt fretful Just join me in this now, because I'm sure you're like this. Fretful that I have so much to do. There is absolutely no way it can get done today. There are deadlines out there. They have to be done. People are waiting on this. And everything almost in you says, get to your desk. Get that computer on. Get those fingers moving. Get those books open. Get thinking. Get calling. Get writing. Get working. Because you've got too much to do today. It can't get done. Get at it. And thankfully, 
little by little over the years, the Lord has been teaching me, do not go to your desk first. You like that? I love Bill Hybel's title of his book, Too Busy Not to Pray. That's a very good title. So you go and you know what happens. I have discovered it now for 23 years of ministry and 50 years of Christian living on my knees pleading for that impossibility. A thought comes that saves me five hours of work. Pow! It's there. The breakthrough of the theological problem. The text you couldn't find that worked. A possible way to work with the staff. We had one of these just two weeks ago in the staff meeting, I believe. We'll see whether the elders confirm it. When we shared it with the elders, Tim at least felt like it was one of those aha moments where three staff positions will be adjusted and everything soon. Clunk, this looks right, this looks good, this looks like we can move forward with this. And that just comes, boom, in a moment, you could bang your head against a wall for ten weeks and not see that. And in ten seconds, you see it. Oh, the preciousness of prayer when we are under precious. How to handle a problem. How to shape a message. How to deal with a crisis. How to solve a theological issue. I have saved myself so many hours. Or maybe it would have never come. I mean, just think of God. This is God we're talking about here. And if you say, God, I'm desperate. I can't get it all done. A thought, a way... Something happens, a phone call, a cancellation of an appointment, a gift of a half an hour. Where did that come from? God has ways to help you with the impossible. If we would just not go to our desk first. So there's my why. Number one, God commands us to pray. The needs are great. Eternal things are in the balance. And third, God acts and does more in five seconds than you can do in five years. Now, there are a lot of other questions besides the ones I'm going to deal with, and I know that. And so let me make sure you realize, as I was thinking about it yesterday, I think if you take all the thousand sermons or so that I've preached in the last 22 plus years, I think I've preached on prayer more than any other topic. And there's only one reason for that. We have a prayer week. And I preach a, a sermon on prayer in the front of it and the back of it. And so there's 40 of them, at least. And then there's a whole bunch of articles, which is probably why there's a long chapter on prayer and desiring God. There's a long chapter on prayer and the pleasures of God. There's a longer chapter on prayer and let the nations be glad. And there's a whole book called Hunger for God, Desiring God Through Prayer and Fasting. In other words, if you want more answers than I can give you this morning, they're there. Everything I know about prayer is in those books and those chapters. We have been talking about prayer. Or you can go online and read every one of those 40 sermons free. Print them out. There's no reason to think, oh, he hasn't said enough about prayer. We've been on prayer for 20 years together and we'll stay on it till Jesus comes because it is the engine and it ought to be a more visible engine that drives this church. And if you have, for example, the question, why pray if God unconditional elects. 
you have that question, go to pages 217 to 220 of Pleasures of God. I'll say it again. Pleasures of God, page 217 to 220. Might want to first read the chapter on election earlier and then the chapter on prayer. But these are not new questions. I'll come back to them in the preaching again and again, but there you can get help this afternoon. That's not what I want to talk about this morning. I want to get practical here as we move toward the end and talk about how. How to pray. How to be devoted to prayer. So my sketch now that I'm going to sketch for you of a life devoted to prayer is intended to inspire you, and I want to do it in a way that doesn't have a uh, my way or the highway mentality about it because I know that we're all so different. I'm different from you in personality, and we are different in calling. We're different in family sizes and pressures and ages of children, which make a big difference for moms and dads and how they pray. We're different in the pressures of our jobs. We're different in age. We're different in ability to retain and concentrate. We're different in chapters of our lives. Oh, how different we are in this room. So God forbid that I should sketch for you a life devoted to prayer and say, that's it. Do all of those things just the way I say to do them. That would be so unrealistic. And so hear my how-tos as pointers, they're all general enough, I think, so that you will all be able to do them in one form or another. Um, I have put them in five pairs. We would be a a both-and people rather than an either-or people because the pairs seem opposites almost. And it just so turned out that the letter that begins each of the pairs spells fades. (laughs) which is of absolutely no use to me whatsoever. Except as I I thought about fades, and I thought, well, if you really press it, maybe you could say, if you neglect these five pairs, your prayer life fades. Prayer fades if you leave these things out. But if you don't want to use fades, that's okay, because I couldn't make it significant anyway. F, these are my practical incentives to help you become a person devoted to prayer in 2003. F, free and formed. Free and formed. What I mean is structured in the content of your prayer and unstructured in the content of your prayer. If you are only free in your praying, you will probably become shallow and trite. And if you are only structured or formed in your praying, you will probably become mechanical and hollow. We are, I hope, a both-and people, not an either-or people. We will pray free and we will pray formed. By free, I mean regularly come to God and just pour out your heart to Him. I have so many needs, I have so many desires, and I have so many things to be thankful for. And just let it flow with no worry about any grammar or any form or anything at all like that. Just be free in the tumbling out of your prayers. Without this freedom, I doubt that there is an authentic Christianity. Because I cannot imagine an authentic relationship with anyone where everything is scripted 
You only read sentences to your wife. <laughs> Imagine. You get your breakfast reading, and you get your lunch reading, and you call her from business, you read that, and you're always just formed. That's not a marriage. That's not a relationship. And that's not Christianity in prayer. So I say freedom is crucial to Christianity. But I plead with you not to think that you are so spiritually deep or rich or resourceful or disciplined that you can do without forms. Here are four forms that I have in mind. I think all of them are essential. The Bible. Pray the Bible. Pray biblical prayers and pray the parts of the Bible that aren't prayers. But take this prayer. Ephesians 3, 14 to 19 is what we're focusing on this week. And I'm going to ask you at the end of this sermon to make a commitment to memorize it this week. There's no fighter verse for this week. We're on freeze. I bow my knees before the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, through his spirit, you might be strengthened with power in the inner man, and that Christ would dwell in your hearts by faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, might have power to comprehend what is the height and depth and length and breadth, and to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, and be filled with all the fullness of God. Memorize that prayer. And then use it over and over again. I tell you, I have built my life year after year, many times around that prayer at Bethlehem because it contains the passion of my life. Don't you want what that prayer says? Christ dwell in my heart. Have power to comprehend his love. Be filled with all the fullness of God. That's what Paul prays for you. That's what Jesus is praying for you. Join him in praying it. Memorize that prayer during prayer week. 2002-3. The Bible. Pray it. Pray the commands of the Bible. Oh God, I pray that I, my children, my staff, my friends at Bethlehem would love you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. You can do you pray the commands of Scripture or pray the promises of Scripture. I pray, O oh God, that you would manifest your authority in heaven and on earth so that everyone in this church would taste the sweetness of the promise. I'll be with you to the end of the age. Make us to feel it, enjoy it, act with lion-hearted freedom in the enjoyment of it. Pray the warnings of Scripture. Oh God, I pray that I would fight lust with the same vision and the same vigor and the same passion and the same rigor and the same zeal that Jesus meant when he said, cut off your hand and gouge out your eye in order to resist lust. Better to have one eye and go to heaven than two eyes and go to hell. Make me a fighter against lust. Pray the scriptures. That's a form everybody should use. Second, use lists. Lists of people to pray for and lists of needs to pray about. If you are able to remember without lists 
Everyone that you should pray for and all the needs that you should pray for, you are God. And I mean that. Only God can remember everyone he should pray for without practical helps. In a pre-paper printing press culture, they had mnemonic devices of all kinds to get it in their head. I have a list of 70 people in my head. I could rattle it off to you now in just a moment that I pray for by name every day. It's in my head. Not on that list in my head is all the people that came to missions in the manse that Noel and I pull off of our bedstand every night and pray for by name from paper. Not on that list in my head are the list of our 60 missionary families. That I have to do with paper. Not on that list is the list of rulers of the land and the state that I have to use paper. Not on that list in my head are the needs that are new today that weren't there yesterday. Somebody told me, somebody asked me, would you pray about this? An email that comes about this from a pastor. You think that's going to stay in my head? No way. If you're faithful, you will use a folder or a tablet or a file in your palm pilot. Wonderful little devices for prayer. If you use them, put hymns in there, put prayer in there, put lists in there. Turn these devices that God has ordained for his glory. So lists is number two, the form. Third form, books. Pray through books. I mean, Operation World. Everybody should own Operation World and become a globe-sized prayer. A different page or two for every country in the world to keep us praying as we ought. Pray through a book like Extreme Devotion. One page for the suffering church somewhere in the world. Some model of sacrifice and suffering. Take Let the Nations Be Glad, the little green book, and go to pages 57 to 62 where I listed everything I could find in the New Testament that they prayed for each other. There are 36 of them. As far as I can tell, there are only 36 things the new church prayed for each other. There are probably more, but all there. Now, I have used that for years, 10 years I've used that. It's written, it's on a piece of paper, I can photocopy it out. What do you pray for people? There are 36 things the New Testament prayed for each other, and we ought to be praying those things for each other. So if you wonder how to pray, get a list, put it in front of you, because I can guarantee you what will happen if you're like me, is that you will get over the hump of going to your desk and get to your prayer place, and you will freeze up. Nothing will come to your mind. Texts will go blank. People will fly from your head. And the devil will be shooting. But I can't remember his name in the two towers. <laughs> Sliding on the skateboard coming down the steps of the castle. Number four. This is the fourth. We're still on the first pair of five, by the way. And we're on the second part of it, namely formed. And I'm saying use patterns now. Use the Bible, use lists, use books, and use patterns. Here's what I mean, very simply. I pray, it's just one example, don't have to do it my way. I pray in concentric circles. I start with the no, most needy person I know. 
His name is John Piper. I don't start with him because he's most important. I start with him because I feel his sin more than I feel anybody else's. So I start and I pray about me. I pray about the change I want to happen in my life. I pray the Lord's Prayer for me. Make me hallow your name. Make me love your kingdom. Make me do your will. Make me trust you for my daily bread. Make me flee from temptation. Fix me. I'm the biggest problem in this marriage. I'm the biggest problem in my parenting. I'm the biggest problem in this church. I'm the problem. Get me fixed. And then I go out to the next circle and that's my family. Carson, Shelley, Millie, Francis, Benjamin, Alyssa, Abraham, Barnabas, Talitha, Noel. That's my next circle. And then I go out from there to the staff, the pastoral staff. And I go from out from there to the elders. And I go out from there to the whole church staff. Those are the 70 names that I know by heart. And then I have to go to paper. The concentric circles are important for me because I tell you, my brain, I tell you what the devil does when you start to pray is Unbelievable. In the things that will distract you inside and outside. And you must fight like heaven in order for it not to destroy you. Okay, that's first pair. The others are going to go quicker. F, free and formed. I'm trying to give you practical tips on how to become a person devoted to prayer. A, alone and assembled. Alone and assembled. If you're devoted to prayer, you should pray regularly alone. And if you're devoted to prayer, you should pray regularly assembled with other Christians. Oh, how crucial it is that we pray alone to God through Jesus Christ. I don't think there is any Christianity in a person who doesn't pray alone and only prays with others. Susanna Wesley, you remember this story, had 16 kids. So moms, take heed. Uh, She knew where you're at. And she ruled these kids with a very firm hand. They turned out pretty good, too. She pulled her apron up over her head in the kitchen and made a little tent at the kitchen table. And the kids knew that when they saw the tent over Mommy's head in the kitchen, because you've got no place to go when you've got 16 kids, that this was a sanctuary and they had been taught with spoon to behind, you don't infringe upon Mom's sanctuary. And I'll just say here, parents, teach your children, mommy and daddy, get alone with God, and you may not interrupt. Best way to do that is to help them have a time alone at the same time. Use tapes, use Bible story books, whatever you need to use. But discipline your children. They may not infringe upon this holy moment unless they're dying. I think we need to pray in assembly and we probably fail in that more often than we fail in praying alone. Pick one of these prayer meetings. Don't feel like you're cut off. I get to know people that come to these prayer meetings. I like that. I love praying with people. I get stirred up when I Hear people pray on Friday morning and Tuesday morning and Wednesday night and Sunday morning and staff meetings. I really get helped. You cut yourself off from such a blessing when you don't pray with other Christians. This is normal. Acts 1.14, these all with one mind continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. Acts 12.12, Peter got out of prison and he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, where there were many gathered praying. This is normal Christianity. Be devoted to prayer. It's basic. D, 
F, free and formed. A, alone and assembled. Both and, not either or. D, desperate and delighted. Desperate and delighted. Being devoted to prayer means that regularly you will come desperate to God because he will have shown you the needs and made you feel them in your soul, your family, your community, the church, the mission field, and you'll feel desperate for his help. And there will be times because of 2 Corinthians 6.10, where Paul says, sorrowful yet always, yet always rejoicing, Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. And that rejoicing will sometimes rise so high it will simply overshadow all the grief and all the pain of your life. And you will just want to come delighted into his presence and say, thank you. Thank you for being God to me. Thank you for loving me and caring for me and dying for me and lifting my curse. And Desperate and delighted. E, F-A-D-E, explosive and extended. I simply mean short and long, but short and long didn't begin with the same letter. Explosive and extended. And I like the word explosive for what I mean. There are times through the day, if you're, I think, devoted to prayer, there will be dozens of times during the day, whether out loud or in your head, you explode with a five-second or ten-second prayer, either of need or of delight. And my focus here is simply on the time frame. It's okay to pray very short prayers, lots of times. But I would add, you need to pray long prayers as well. I make a quick phone call to Noel, and other times we spend an evening together. This little gizmo here, this, this is a cell phone. You know, my, my main impulse of this is to call Noel when I don't have to. Because <laughs> I like to play with it, and I can't think of anybody else to call. And I love to talk to Noel. I'll be home in five minutes. I'm at the corner of, you know? <laughs> this is so cool. That makes a good marriage. Technology can be used by God. It makes a good marriage, but you know what? If that's all you do with your wife, it won't be good. No evenings together, no weekends together, no vacations together, no extended conversations after you put the kids to bed. And so it is with God. Popcorn prayers are right, unless that's all you do. Finally, Yes, spontaneous and scheduled. And if you say, well, what's the difference between that and free and formed and explosive and expanded? Well, by free and formed, I'm referring to the content of our prayers. And by explosive and expanded, I'm referring to the length of our prayers. By spontaneous and scheduled, I'm referring to when we pray. Not how long and what. But when we pray, if we're devoted to prayer, I argue we will 
pray without ceasing in one sense. That is, we will walk in the Spirit. We will have a a sense of the nearness of God that goes with us all day long. He is accessible. Open your mouth and He's there to hear it. We open our mouth spontaneously through the day. No scheduled time. Nobody's saying it has to be this time or another time. It's just there. And we're praying spontaneously to Him because we know He's eager to hear and eager to help. But here's a warning. And I fear this needs to be said to many. If you only have spontaneity, you won't have it long. Because the fruit of spontaneity grows up in the garden of discipline. If you think you can be a totally spontaneous person with no discipline in your life, you're cutting the root of the spontaneity itself and it will become hollow and empty and repetitive and trite and you'll wonder months and years down the line, what's become of my prayer life? Because you thought it was so free and so unlegalistic. So I'm going to encourage you here to set aside set times of prayer. And as we close in just a minute, I want you to linger and give thought, or do it this afternoon, what time that's going to be in 2003. When will you meet him in 2003? Morning? Afternoon? You got a a window at work? You have to go to work early? Can you stay at home? Is it the bedroom? Is it the basement? Is it the garage? Where? When? How? Are you going to meet him? You cannot leave this to chance. Satan will see to it that it doesn't happen if you leave it to chance. The time must be set. The place must be set. A length of time would be good to set. You can lengthen it, shorten it. But without a plan, we don't pray. And if we don't pray, the spontaneity will die. And I would encourage you something else. Would you maybe twice this year plan a prayer retreat with you yourself alone with God or with you and a spouse or a very close friend? And you don't take a book along. Don't take one of Piper's books along. You take your Bible and a tablet, and that's all. And you go away and you pray for half a day. Take a half a day retreat or a whole day retreat. And if you say, how can you pray for a whole day by yourself or with somebody? I would just say that some of the sweetest, deepest, most profound times that Noel and I have ever had on our little overnights on an anniversary, say, is when I took the initiative and said, Noel, let's spend a long time in prayer. And we read... A chap, we read all the way through Philippians or all the way to Ephesians or a bunch of chapters in Matthew and we read a chapter and we stop and pray everything we can think of from that chapter into our kids in this church. And we read another chapter and stop and pray everything we can think of from that chapter into our kids and into this church. And then we read another chapter and then we... You can fill up hours easy that way. And I'll tell you, it will make your marriage and your soul a new place. So... In summary, my goal is be devoted to prayer, Bethlehem downtown. Be devoted to prayer, Bethlehem Roseville. Why? God commands it. The needs are great. He hears and does more in five seconds than we can do in five years. How? Well, do it in such a way that it doesn't fade. It'll fade. It fades if you don't do it with freedom and form, alone and assembled, desperate and delighted, 
explosive and extended, spontaneous and scheduled. I long for us to be a praying people, devoted to prayer, because I long for you to work and glorify your name and bring your kingdom and cause us to do your will. I long for the world to see Jesus lifted up and triumphant and supreme over all other values. Oh God, grant, I pray, that we would be a praying people. Help us to give testimony and mean it from our hearts as we sing, I must tell Jesus. In his name we pray.